Okay, uh, next very pleased to introduce uh, Slava Turyashev. Uh, began working with Slava uh, on the uh, Pioneer Anomaly. Uh, he's an expert in the use of spacecraft uh, tracking data to uh, do gravitational theory testing, uh, which is actually my thesis area a long time ago as well. So I was, I was very pleased to work with, uh, be able to work with him when I was at the Planetary Society on the Pioneer Anomaly question. Uh, Slava has a PhD in astrophysics. He's an expert in relativistic cosmology in, uh, in uh, measurements of, uh, uh, related to gravitational theory testing and in uh, uh, and, and other objects that uh, uh, we might measure in the, in the outer solar system. And in particular, uh, he's going to bring in expertise in the solar gravity lens focus and the possible use of it uh, as a intermediate, as a, both a place to go to and a place to use for observations uh, uh, beyond the solar system. Slava. Hello, thank you very much for a nice introduction. Do you hear me well? Uh, this on. Um, this is a very interesting topic, uh, speaking about the solar gravitational lens. So it is, in a, in a way, it is a bit controversial. And, uh, but on the other hand, it, it is based on real science because general relativity predicts that the solar lens exists. And so in this uh, talk, I will um, cover tests of general relativity in the solar system very briefly, just to justify that general relativity is the theory that, that we can use and really uh, develop applied general relativistic uh, uh, topics. And then I will focus on uh, on the, on the lens itself. If I do, if I do this, oh, excellent! Thank you. This, this is nice, much nicer. All right. So um, the solar gravitational lens, it is out there. Uh, can we use it? And that's basically the topic of my uh, my presentation today. So uh, first of all, let's go back a little bit in history. Almost 150 years ago. Uh, general relativity was not, was, did not exist th at that time, but there was an interesting anomaly in the uh, orbit of Mercury. Of course, uh, the, uh, there were two possible solutions to that. It was Urbain de Leverrier, at that time director of the Paris Observatory. He actually uh, uh, thought about, uh, uh, he came up with uh, two ways of explaining two anomalies in the solar system in the same year. First anomaly was the orbit of Mercury and, uh, uh, and uh, essentially uh, orbit of, uh, of, U of Uranus. In 1945, search for planet X, there was anomaly in, in the uh, orbit of uh, Uranus. The, yeah, that's how ne uh, planet Neptune was discovered. But uh, the problem with Mercury uh, perihelion precession was uh, not accounted within the Newtonian gravitation uh, theory of gravity. And uh, it, it, it is uh, amounted for 43 arc seconds per century. And uh, no way uh, you, one can uh, explain uh, this anomaly in the, uh, with the Newtonian gravity. Uh, before publishing uh, f uh, his paper on general relativity in 1915, Einstein actually computed that uh, number. And he, uh, uh, he came up with the number. He, when he got 43 arc seconds per century, he realized that uh, he got a very important result. So almost in one year, Leverrier actually uh, both confirmed general relativity by discovering uh, uh, 
both uh, confront uh, the uh, Newtonian gravity by discovering uh, planet Neptune and also put doubt on, uh, on, on the Newtonian gravity by actually uh, looking, uh, yeah, by working on the uh, anomaly of, of, uh, of, of, of motion of Mercury. Uh, what was interesting in 1913, almost 100 years ago, Einstein wrote to Hale and in, in his uh, letter, uh, he was asking whether or not uh, a, a effect of uh, gravitational deflection of light must be uh, uh, actually may be measured without eclipse. And Hale wrote in a letter to Einstein saying that no, indeed, uh, one would need eclipse uh, to verify deflection of uh, uh, light by uh, gravitational field. And as, as you see here, it, uh, yeah, this letter dated 14th of October 1913, Einstein still used Newtonian arguments, and he was actually looking for uh, uh, to, to verify that uh, light will be deflected by uh, uh, 0.87 arc seconds at the, on the limb of the sun. And essentially, uh, that was uh, the first, uh, uh, um, uh, this was the time when Einstein was uh, trying to uh, motivate astronomers in the world really to uh, test his uh, uh, theory, but as you see here, it was just a Newtonian argument back then. The first expedition actually was uh, attempted by a German astronomer, Edwin uh, Finlay uh, Friedrich, and uh, when in 1914 he actually was able to gather enough support and uh, uh, go to, to, to Russia, essentially uh, during the total eclipse which happened on uh, August 21st of 1914. And uh, at that time, of course, uh, just after, uh, just uh, um, this uh, uh, eclipse happened in August 21st, but the First World War uh, started almost a month earlier, so this observation uh, did not produce any, any data, but, did, but essentially yeah, this is the map of the total eclipse, and the uh, German expedition went here. Um, so no measurements were conducted at, at that time. The first ever verification of general relativity essentially came uh, from the from expedition by, uh, led by um, Eddington. At the, time, uh, at the time of the expedition, there were three possible, uh, three, three possible effects. First one was that the light will not be affected by gravity, so that the, uh, so the deflection of, of light will be zero. Uh, Newtonian arguments, as uh, uh, I, pre I, I, I discussed in the previous slide, which were 0.87 arc seconds on the limb of the sun, and of course the uh, prediction uh, based on general relativity, that was twice the Newtonian argument, essentially 1.75 arc seconds. And this is the expression for this, uh, uh, for this effect. As you see here, essentially this is the telegram sent by Campbell to Einstein uh, later, uh, saying that uh, uh, observing, uh, analyzing data collected uh, of, from uh, observations in Tahiti, essentially 1.59 and the 1.86 seconds of arc, uh, this was the first measurement of gravitational deflection of light. And these are the two, uh, two uh, scientists, Einstein and Eddington, are sitting in Cambridge. Uh, today, of course, we know that uh, general relativity and essentially deflection of light works not only in the solar system, but essentially it's uh, all over uh, the universe. This is wonderful uh, picture of galaxy cluster Abel. And uh, uh, those, uh, those uh, lenses exist everywhere, and essentially in, uh, in many uh, observations from Hubble Space Telescope and in many uh, uh, 
many routinely taken observations. Now we see those uh, lensed objects, those uh, four objects, uh, four, 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 four stars, and essentially these are the gallery of gravitational lenses. Those lenses do exist in the universe, and uh, so the question is really, um, can we use them in, uh, in, in, our, in our daily lives now? So can we build a telescope? So in the solar system, of course, we um, verified general relativity to very high uh, precision. And we did that uh, by uh, flying uh, multiple spacecraft uh, and, uh, and, and conducting a radar range into planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and the range into spacecraft, Mariners, Viking, Pioneers, and many other spacecraft. We did the very uh, long baseline interferometry, and many uh, other uh, instruments were used to verify uh, predictions of general relativity. In this plot, I will show in uh, uh, two axes, uh, parameter beta and parameter gamma. Both of those parameters were introduced by Eddington. And essentially, gamma is a measure of nonlinearity of gravitational superposition, and uh, 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 beta is a, is a measure of nonlinearity. And gamma is the uh, curvature of unit mass, uh, uh, curvature of space produced by the unit mass. And uh, as you see, uh, ranging to uh, Mars, uh, uh, to, uh, to Viking landers on Mars, uh, provided a measurement of parameter gamma uh, less than 10 to the minus 3. And uh, later on, uh, ranging to planet Mercury provided uh, constraints on both parameters beta and gamma. And essentially, um, later on, uh, very long baseline interferometry uh, provided a very nice measurement of parameter gamma to 10 to the minus 4. And uh, the very interesting observation was done by lunar laser engine. In lunar laser engine, essentially, it also constrained combination of parameters beta and gamma to less than 10 to the minus 4. So the uh, possible area of validity of um, any other theories of gravity that are different from general relativity is within this little, uh, little area. And Cassini experiment essentially closed that area even further. So now we know that whatever deviations from general relativity exist, they should be only within this little area of space uh, on, this, on this parameter uh, plot. So essentially we know that general relativity works. And uh, for the last uh, few years, essentially, it's a new engineering discipline in a sense. Because when you uh, fly, it's in our daily life in the GPS, geodesy, time transfer, and astrometric missions such as Guy, which is now working uh, in space and uh, attempting to uh, provide a catalog at the micro second level, must account for effect of gravitational deflection of light. Because light that is coming perpendicular to ecliptic at one astronomical unit away from the sun is being deflected by solar gravity to eight milliarc seconds. And essentially, we're talking about one micro second precision for Gaia. So for uh, for this mission, one would have to account for the presence of solar gravity all the time, and also Jupiter, and also Earth as well. So realistically, yes, indeed, general relativity is, is valid in the solar system, and we can ask a question, can, can we use it in terms of building, uh, uh, building something out there? And so now I'm coming uh, to the main discussion, and this is the solar gravity lens. Um, essentially, this, um, historically, I think the, uh, a, a paper by an Eshelman, in, uh, published in 1979, was, I think, the first paper that was essentially dealt with, uh, with this topic uh, seriously. And essentially, here we were talking about um, uh, possible use of solar gravity lens uh, for uh, 
observations and also uh, interstellar communication because uh, he was impressed with the significant gain in uh, which is achieved by this uh, gravitational lens of the sun. And therefore, he was actually interested to see whether or not this can be uh, developed to uh, something more uh, rigorous. Uh, later on, you can find uh, some publications, uh, some, so some mentioning of this effect in uh, Krauss's Radio Astronomy book published in 86. And of course, many papers by, uh, published by Claudia Macon. Uh, Claudio, over the years, was one of the major uh, proponents of using gravitational lens of the sun for many purposes, of course, for observational purposes and for communication as well. I think um, uh, Claudio's visit to JPL in uh, just around 2001 motivated, sort of uh, brought me into this area. I think when you uh, uh, discuss the possibility of uh, using uh, JPL's uh, capabilities to actually fly or develop some uh, future mission, um, uh, we were in, 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 in involved in uh, looking at the Practical, it, it, it practical applications of this, uh, this idea. And uh, this resulted in a paper published in Monthly Notices in, in 2003. So most of this presentation will be based on the paper that was published almost 11 years ago, but with some new results. So essentially, when you consider gravitational lens of the sun, uh, first of all, it, it is clear that uh, geometric optics approach, which was used uh, throughout the literature, is not applicable. You have to use wave... Uh, uh, wave, theoretical, wave theoretical treatment. And essentially, you have to consider uh, uh, scattering of the plane electromagnetic wave by the sun. You have to solve Maxwell equations uh, and the using the symmetry of the plane. And then uh, uh, assuming the sun is uh, basically spherical, the gravitational field of the sun may be uh, presented as, uh, as a, by, by the Schwarzschild uh, uh, solution with the Schwarzschild uh, radius is just of the sun, is just about three kilometers. So this is the general uh, geometry of the problem. You see that uh, the plane wave are uh, uh, falling onto the sun, uh, solar radius, and uh, we, will, uh, use a para, uh, uh, we, yeah, we will use theta to, de to describe angles from, uh, from sun, and r is a distance to, uh, to a particular point in space. So here, this is the general uh, uh, picture that is describing really a diffraction uh, pattern, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the scattering of the electromagnetic wave by the sun. Uh, uh, essentially, what is important is that we can recognize three different regions behind the sun. One region is the uh, shadow. Shadow goes from, uh, from the sun all the way to a certain point which is the focal point where the rays just grazing the sun would, uh, uh, would combine. And essentially, F0 is given by the ratio of square of solar radii divided by twice the Schwarzschild radius of the sun. And this distance is roughly 450 astronomical units away from the sun. Now, as you move away from from that point, essentially, uh, uh, more uh, light rays will be uh, um, uh, intersecting. And essentially, this is not a point. It, it's a focal line extending from 447 astro astronomical units all the way out from the sun. And uh, so uh, three areas, as I mentioned, one is the sh shadow, where no electromagnetic field from the uh, plane uh, wave coming into this area. Uh, the geometric optics approximation, where we deal only with the one of the 
uh, areas of the uh, uh, solar gravity, and then interference. Interference area where essentially uh, the beams that are coming from uh, two different sides of the sun interfere, interfere with each other. So those, um, uh, the three different areas, I'm not going to present uh, equations uh, here, but realistically what you have to do, you have to compute the electromagnetic field in, in those different areas, analyze the, this field, uh, compute point in the vector, and really analyze the energy distribution in this area to compute the pattern, uh, diffraction pattern inside this area, which is important for, uh, for image formation and, uh, and analysis of image formation problem. So let's discuss those uh, few, uh, a few of those uh, areas. First of all, um, the area of shadow and the geometric optic approximation is, is, is not really important here. Let's talk about uh, interference uh, region. An interference region which is uh, uh, going all the way from uh, 450 astronomical units all the way uh, out from the sun. Essentially, the three uh, main uh, regions you can uh, separate. One region is um, uh, where uh, rho, rho is the distance from the, optical, from the optical axis in the image plane. So where rho is uh, uh, much larger than the impact parameter, uh, this is the area where you have double images of equal, uh, uh, equal brightness. This area and this one. Uh, there is another area, of, uh, interesting area, where uh, rho is the distance, again, from the optical axis to in the, in the image plane is uh, just about uh, uh, equal to impact parameter. Uh, and, and impact parameter here, as you see, impact parameter is the distance, uh, is the closest approach, uh, is the closest, uh, is, is the distance uh, from the center of the sun to a uh, light ray uh, that is coming from, uh, from, the, uh, from, from the source. Now, the most interesting region, of course, is the focal beam. Uh, the focal beam is where the impact uh, uh, for those uh, areas in the Im image were, uh, which are much less than the uh, 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 impact parameter, essentially. So for the two uh, areas here, this, this zone and this one, uh, the zone of double images with equal brightness and double, ima double images with unequal brightness, uh, you see that uh, the luminosities of, uh, two, of two images are very close. The observer would see two images exactly at the optical axis, and uh, another one is uh, 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 twice the, um, uh, uh, the deflection uh, angle. So essentially two images will be here, and the, the images are almost identical uh, in, in brightness. In, in this area, where uh, two images of unequal brightness, you will see that one, uh, uh, one image is going to be around, again, uh, uh, zero axis, and another one will be shifted uh, by, um, uh, by the same angle, but the luminosities between the two images are going to be very different, oh, and uh, uh, yeah, one of them will be very bright in the middle, in, in the center, another one will be very... Uh, 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 will be uh, much dimmer. Um, for our purposes, most important region, of course, is the focal uh, beam region. Let's focus on this focal beam region because this is where most interesting uh, physics is actually uh, happening here. This focal beam region is, uh, uh, satisfies two conditions where angle theta, angle theta is less than uh, lambda over 2 pi over b, where b is impact parameter. This is a very small number, and for our purposes, maybe just zero. 
And uh, another uh, angle here is roughly uh, uh, 1.75 arc seconds. Those, uh, this is the Einstein's uh, deflection angle. And also the z, the distance from the uh, sun must be uh, farther than the uh, uh, first focal point. And so essentially, uh, this is the area. Uh, what is interesting is that the gain inside this uh, zone is given by this equation. Uh, and the uh, gain is quite significant. When you look at the uh, gain, um, uh, at the, uh, for, for example, for, uh, uh, for a wavelength of one millimeter, and on axis, you have a very significant gain. It's almost 80, uh, 80 dB. If you look at the different, uh, at the different uh, wavelength, 0.1 millimeter, so then the gain is larger, of course, it's going to be 90 dB. And uh, uh, this uh, gain, uh, what I plot here is that um, uh, for focal distance, 600 astronomical units, you see this uh, dotted line representing gain for uh, one millimeter wavelength at the distance of uh, 600 astronomical units. And the solid line is the same wavelength, but for distance uh, twice larger. 1,200 astronomical unit. If you move to a different um, wavelength, so the physics is the same, the pattern is the same, but the, uh, yeah, but the gain is much larger. Basically, it's uh, 10 times larger. So a similar picture exists, of course, for every other wavelength. If you deal with, uh, uh, with optical radiation at one micron, of course, it will be uh, uh, even even higher, the, the gain will be very large. So on optical axis, gain reaches its maximum value, which is given uh, by this expression, and essentially it oscillates quite rapidly, as you see, and uh, uh, oscillating is it quite rapidly. So basically, moving uh, only uh, very little uh, from the optical axis, um, it, uh, it 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 can uh, be um, it it reduces by a few orders of magnitude. And then it reaches its uh, nominal value uh, of just one at the, at the distances on, on, opt, on image plane much farther than the impact parameter. So essentially, uh, this is as expected that uh, the uh, gravitational lens is very sensitive to uh, tangential motion of the, uh, in the image plane. So it's very, very uh, important uh, to utilize that if one wants to, to utilize that uh, that, uh, that lens, one needs to inject an uh, instrument exactly on the optical axis so that uh, to benefit from, from the gain. But it is very difficult. Let's uh, talk about how difficult it is. So essentially, uh, these are the general uh, characteristics of uh, why this lens, why this object is very imp interesting, uh, primarily because of the gain. It's a very significant gain here. Moving on. Um, um, Important properties of that lens is, of course, high angular resolution. If uh, we define angular resolution as the ratio of the distance in the focal plane where gain is uh, reduced by 10 dB to the focal uh, distance at that, uh, at, the, at, 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 at that point. And essentially, uh, this uh, epsilon is going to be uh, very um, uh, small. So essentially, for, uh, for a rays just grazing the sun at one millimeter, this, uh, uh, this uh, resolution is going to be uh, 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 30 uh, uh, nanoarc seconds. And uh, the distance at which it's, it's realized, it's very little. It's only 
uh, 12 meters. So essentially, we're talking about motion within the image plane, extremely sensitive. So you, it's not kilometers, it's rather very, uh, uh, very small. So of course, because of the significant gain, uh, th there is a major brightness increase once you get into this area of uh, pencil-like uh, uh, beam. And essentially for wavelength that we can use to observe objects using the sun, it's radio waves, a visible light, and possibly even gamma rays. So the lens, uh, the brightness <coughs> are amplified by the same uh, very significant uh, uh, feature. So uh, essentially the very narrow pencil uh, beam is really the plane wave is focused into a very narrow beam of extreme intensity with, uh, with radius of only roughly 100 kilometers. And uh, uh, rapid spatial oscillations within this uh, beam and uh, the spatial uh, oscillations with roughly at one millimeter, uh, it's, uh, it's roughly uh, uh, within 60 meters. So essentially this is the scale of the uh, oscillations. Also angular distribution of intensity is given by this expression and of course it's, uh, it's uh, significantly, the image is significantly magnified at the, at the, uh, on, on, optical, on optical axis. Um, if you would like, if you are uh, interested to observe with this, if, if you will be put in a telescope with aperture roughly uh, two, two, uh, two, two, uh, two R naught at the, um, in the, at the region of uh, interference. And uh, so that the lens essentially is uh, uh, which this um, uh, instrument will look at. It, 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 it's only very narrow annulus. And this annulus is given, uh, the, the thickness of that annulus is only uh, pretty much R0 over 2. So imagine putting a one meter telescope out there, out there so that the thickness of that uh, annulus is only 50 centimeters. And so that defines a very significant uh, area, essentially, nevertheless. The area uh, of, that, uh, of that lens is essentially uh, um, will be uh, proportional to solar radius times that uh, thickness of that uh, uh, of, of radius of the telescope. And for example, for one meter telescope, the total collecting area of solar lens is uh, very significant. It's, it's 10 to the ninth uh, meter squared which is equivalent to an aperture of 37 uh, kilometers. So that's just to, to compare the numbers. Again, uh, this is very significant, but it's very difficult to get there. So in the distance between, um, uh, this is a telescope uh, which uh, works with two beams of with impact parameter uh, B and B prime. And essentially the distance, at, uh, if we move that telescope away uh, so it needs only to, to be moved uh, only 50, almost 60 kilometers so that it will uh, start observing a very different uh, impact parameter, uh, which is uh, separated by R0 over 2. So essentially, if we are talking about high velocity in the uh, focal plane, if you're talking about 100 kilometers per second, that means that the image, if we capture, is going to be extremely difficult to capture because the image will move away from the aperture uh, almost uh, half uh, 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 within a few seconds, essentially, within a few seconds. So essentially, uh, let me uh, go a little bit faster here uh, for a few more, a few more seconds. Essentially, so uh, the, the more critical is, of course, the plasma. 
because uh, uh, we know that plasma contributes very strongly here. And uh, um, with uh, plasma, when we account for solar plasma, uh, we understand that the deflection angle will uh, essentially depend on the, uh, on the density of uh, electrons in the, in the solar corona. If we use a classic model for electron density around the sun, which we use for Cassini data analysis, essentially the angle of deflection will be proportional to the frequent, uh, inversely proportional to the square of the uh, frequency of the, uh, of the uh, radio wave. And uh, with critical uh, uh, frequency roughly at uh, six, uh, at, at seven megahertz. So what it does, uh, the plasma essentially provides a beam uh, defocusing and uh, divergence. And so that, uh, that actually uh, moves the uh, focal point away from the sun. And th as you see, uh, if you observe at higher frequencies, uh, starting let's say from 170 gigahertz, uh, the for impact parameter, uh, let's say uh, 1.3 solar radii, you need to go very far away from the sun, roughly 800 astronomical units. If you observe at the higher frequencies, all the way to a terahertz frequency. So for at a terahertz frequencies, you don't really have to go away from the uh, so solar focus. So if you observe at optical frequencies, plasma is pretty much uh, is not an issue. And um, so I guess my time is up. So. Uh, what is interesting is that, of course, um, I'd, I'd like to conclude uh, by saying that, yes, this, this um, object exists, and it's very interesting, it's very attractive in terms of the gain, but extremely difficult to achieve the operational performance needed to uh, use it for any astronomical uh, benefit. However, there is another lens in the solar system, which is uh, for uh, particles that actually go through the sun, like neutrinos, because as, as you know, that the uh, major part of the solar mass in its core, and essentially the neutrinos are, go are going to be deflected by the uh, sun going through the sun, and the deflection and the, and, and the, and the focal uh, point is essentially tw around 25 astronomical units, which is very close. So the challenge is really to build the detector and also problems with the source, because we don't know, uh, we don't have enough statistics on neutrinos that are coming from outside the solar system. And so once we will identify a, a possible source of it, there is a possibility of flying something beyond, uh, to the area where Mike just showed, where plenty of objects we can just park and see it, and uh, there will be significant uh, uh, increase in uh, neutrino flux. Uh, thank you very much.